Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Good evening, Life Story Church friends, family. We're so glad that you guys are with us. We're joining you live tonight from the frozen confines of Lambeau Field, Green Bay, Wisconsin, not so much Nashville, Tennessee. If you can believe it, it's freezing in Nashville and there's ice all over the road. So for the second service in a row, we're joining you via the Life Story Church studio. Uh, but how blessed are we that we get to come together even if... Uh, the roads are shut down and there's ice everywhere. So God is good. Amen. I hope you guys got yourselves a cup of coffee. I got myself a cup of coffee. I hope you got your Bibles. We're going to we're gonna be ambitious tonight. Uh, we like being ambitious, don't we? So we're going to be ambitious in the sense that we're going to shoot to get through two chapters tonight. And when you're studying chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that's ambitious, isn't it? We're going to give it a try, though. So I hope you guys are ready. Uh that's good coffee my wife Amber made for me, I tell you what. Let's start the night out, though, by um, uh, going to the Lord with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we bow our hearts, we humble our hearts tonight, Lord. And we're just going to come to you, Lord, and, your, and, and seek you and find you in your word, Lord. So we pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, open our spirit eyes to see what human eyes can't see, Lord. Uh, as the days are here, that knowledge is increasing in the land. We believe that to be biblical knowledge, that secrets are being unlocked as well, Lord. So unlock some things to our understanding and to our minds, Lord Jesus, as we come to your word and we seek you uh, and and uh, just submit ourselves to you and ask you to be glorified by this next time that we spend together. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Now do something else for me. I want you to go ahead and say hi to somebody. I know there's at least a few of you guys watching right now and as, uh, as we go on here, more people will catch on. But if you see somebody who is, uh, if you see somebody who is uh, familiar on here, church family or friend or whatnot, just say hello, tell them that, that you're glad that they're here with us and uh, it's going to be a good night. I'm excited about the study that we've got planned. Uh, before we do so though, I want to remind you guys, like I always remind you guys, to check out uh, facebook.com slash life story Nashville. If you've never clicked like, if you are, are a social media person, I know a lot of people might be watching this on YouTube and you're not a Facebook person, I get it, I get it. But if you do have a Facebook account, man, share our page. I would really appreciate it. Our whole media team would appreciate it. Everybody works so hard to get quality content out quality teaching out uh, that can really bless the church and build the kingdom, okay? And you guys are a huge part of that just when you click share. So share, 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 okay? Click like, go to, if you're an Instagram person, uh, there's an Instagram page apparently as well that our media team has got going. So like that, I think there might even be a Twitter page. I'm not sure, but I know that we've got an awesome website that uh, a lot of uh, uh, great people have put a lot of time and heart into. So uh, take advantage of that too. And if you want to partner with us online, uh, uh, that way too, as far as uh, financially building this church and this uh, ministry, 
man, you can sure do it there. Um, so yeah, take advantage of that. Uh, all these resources, uh, there's the website. Thank you. There's the website for, uh, the online giving and whatnot. But with that said, guys, we're studying revelation. Okay. Revelation. Uh, this is a study that we actually began a while back and I don't, uh, it's been, I don't even remember when we started this. Do you guys remember when we started this uh, study? I mean, it's been a while. We started with the letters to the churches and we started going uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, Eva said, let's just say it's been a long time. Let's just say it's been a long time. So, uh, you know, there's so the word of, God, uh, word of God just comes alive and there's so much for us to find and so much that he shows us when we when we do a study that's uh, simplistic in that nature, just chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So uh, I know we start. it was probably back in the summer or spring that we started that and uh, we took a break from it. But now we've been back on it and uh, we've got a lot for you guys. If you're interested in the end, the end time prophecy. Which, as every Christian should be, I always loved. Um, uh, it was Barnabas in the Epistle of Barnabas, which is not, you know, it's the text that we have for that is not uh, canon, um, but it's, it is also uh, it is offers us, uh, offers us a lot of color. He always said that there are three pillars that a healthy Christian should stand on, and that's be able to tell people about Jesus. In other words, lead them to salvation, saving faith, and the uh, cross and burial and empty tomb of Jesus, right? Also, uh, be able to defend creation. And thirdly, he always said, you know, we should have an understanding of eschatology, future end time prophecy. And let's be honest, one out of every five scriptures in the Bible, one out of every five verses in the Bible is prophecy. So, and if you think of it in that context, a church should almost be teaching prophecy, you know, every, every five weeks. I don't know that that happens anymore. But uh, in any case, uh, we're going to move through some awesome prophecy tonight. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, chapter 11. Before we jump into that, though, I've got to do some uh, catch-up work with you guys for people who might have missed last week. Uh, some uh, summary. Can I see this first graphic, Evangeline? We're gonna allow, there's a there's a structure throughout Revelation as we uh, get into chapters six all the way through nineteen, but really six through sixteen especially, where God just you start seeing His fingerprints because as He explains things to us, as He gives us this prophecy of what's going to happen in the end, we see it start to appear in patterns. And if you look hard enough, you'll find it. And this is one of the first things that we see. We've been studying. We're heading into chapter eight right now, so we're on the back end of the seven sealed scrolls, which we uh, did last week. The first four of those being the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That was fun, but. Moving through the latter part of them uh, last week, there's a uh, to the parentheses, the break, which was what we did last week, which was a Revelation chapter 7 of the sealing of the 144,000 yeah, Jewish uh, missionaries that will be uh, saving souls truly during the seven-year tribulation, end-time tribulation. Uh, where we come to now is the seventh uh, seal, then that begins Re uh, Revelation chapter 8. So that's where we've been, and uh, this is where we're going tonight. Can I see this next graphic while I've got it up here? Uh, there it is. So you take a closer look. There's the seven seals, okay? 
the break, the 144,000. We talked about that last week. And now we're on to uh, uh, the seventh seal, silence, and the seven trumpets. Well, what does that mean after all? What does that mean? We're about to find out. So, so here we go. I'm diving into uh, Revelation chapter 8. You've got your Bibles, don't you? Yeah, have you got your Bibles? We're going to go uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Do you have verse 1 for me, Evangeline? That's okay. Are we having a problem? No, it's okay. Hold on one second. Let me go take a peek at what you've got going on. Okay, time out, everybody. Um, that's weird. Okay. What is that? What is this? Can I say hi and stalling? Yes, please. Hi, I'm stalling for him. <laughs> um. Hi. I don't know what to do. <laughs> say hi to your friends. Um. Hi. All my friends. Um, okay. I think we're going to be okay. Still not there. Oh, no. I don't know why it's not there. Come on. Okay, I gotta figure it out. Come here, baby. Okay. If you have a problem with it, drop that button and then click here. Okay. So I've got the domain for you. Should be all the way through six. I added the ABC walking demo. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. We're learning a new software, which is, believe it or not, far more reliable than the software that we've been using over the past few years. Uh, but it takes some learning. So Eve and I are on a learning curve, and with the media team snowed in and iced in, we're, we're learning. We're having to learn a lot faster. So anyway, uh, let's go. Let's go there. Can I see that? Uh, uh, there it is. Thank you, Eva. Let's go. All right. Here we are. Chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Verse 3. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So we've holding here, we've got to understand that uh, in heaven, it, we're in the throne room. Remember the context of where we've been, where we are, we're in the throne room. And there is, there is always a mirror biblically of the throne room in heaven and the whole, the, the temple in Israel. Okay. And so you understand there's different, there's different altars when you walk in first 
first, past the first barrier into the temple area, the outer courts, there's a censer, uh, there, there's an altar for shedding of the blood and the messy blood. And then, then because they wouldn't actually sacrifice the animals, of course, on, in the Holy of Holies, certainly not. So there's an altar there, and then you go inside, and there's another altar for incense. So understanding that uh, pictograph in our mind, uh, let's do that as we read, okay? <clears throat> Verse 4, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So this is important to understand. Biblically, incense rising is always um, uh, a visual. It's always visual uh, to uh, a visual assimilation to prayers. So when God talks about our worship being incense, it's to give us a visual because we uh, incense is something that, that is common to us and we burn incense to for whatever, you know, your perfume, so we want to, our house to smell like, or whatever odors you might be covering up, whether you're a Glade plug-in person, right, or a bathroom spray person, or whatever it is, right, you, it rises, it rises, so it's a visual that we can understand on a physical level, so God often uses uh, 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 incense as a uh, idiom or a uh, um, simile for our, our praises. So when we praise him, it lifts to him as incense and he smells it and it's good, right? Uh, obviously, the contrast to that would be when something is a stench in his nostrils, right? You get this, so that's the complete opposite of praise. So that's, that's where so much of what he says is uh, uh, um, idiomatic or a simile that makes a certain point that wouldn't otherwise, right? So uh, let's keep reading. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and, and an earthquake. So seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Hmm. And there we are. That's... Uh, so that's where we've arrived. We've arrived at these seven trumpets now. We've passed beyond the seals onto these seven trumpet judgments. Can we take a look at that graphic real quick? Seven trumpet uh, uh, judgments is what we're going to see. Either can I see that next picture? Thank you. Seven trumpet judgments. We're going to see the first four of them covers something that is known as the judgment of the thirds, okay? The, a third of the tree's vegetation, a third of the sea, a third of the waters are bitter, a third of the sun and the stars, okay? Uh, whatever that means, we'll understand it more when we get there. And then it'll move into the three woes on the back end with the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets. But then you'll notice, <clears throat> as we talked about in the beginning, there is that pause right before the seventh trumpet, just like there was a pause before the uh, uh, seventh seal. Now, that pause before the seventh seal was um, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 7. In this case, it's going to be a group of chapters, okay? But we'll get to that when we get there, okay? So Revelation chapter eight verse seven begins uh, begins the first begins the first uh, trumpet blast 
So let's take a look at that. Chapter 8, verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. I can imagine, to me, in my mind, when I'm reading this, I can envision hail and fire falling from heaven. I imagine it's, there's a lot of people, and it could harm a lot of people, and there would be a lot of blood. So it's the hail and the fire that thusly mingles with blood on the earth, right? And they were, that's just my conjecture, though. And they were thrown to earth. They were thrown to earth, and a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. Verse 8. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain, something like a great mountain, do we have the next part? Burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Verse 9, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And here's our thirds, right? And a third of the ships were destroyed. <laughs> okay, this is interesting, okay? Because, uh, you know, what we've got here, right out of the gate, right out of the gate, in verse 8, he says something like a great mountain. Let me comment on that, okay? Something like a great mountain. So that... Is it a mountain, right? Uh, I, maybe. It, I believe the Bible says what it means and means what it says, but it, could this possibly also be talking about an asteroid or a comet or something like that that strikes the Earth in this future time? I don't know. Uh, but moving on to verse 9, it says that a third of the ships were destroyed. I want you to think about that for a second. <clears throat> I actually look, looked into this for you guys. There are, right now, 50,732 ships today, okay, including those at sea and in port. That's a lot of ships. And this is a, according to a study that was done by uh, on maritime transport, the maritime transport review that was done by the UN back in 2018. So 50,732 ships, a third of those are going to be destroyed. That's that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of devastation. OK, so when the trumpet second trumpet sounds, guys, <clears throat> My goodness, let me, let me back up even more. With the first trumpet sounding comes hail and fire mingled with blood. This kind of this kind of rain falls, believe it or not, as we'll read many places during the last half of the tribulation, destroying green grass and a third of the trees, many homes destroyed, many buildings destroyed by this plague. But when the tr second trumpet sounds here, <clears throat> a third of the oceans become blood. They become blood, in, and likely, you know, likely it'll be in the European Mediterranean area, quite area, quite possibly. But let me say this: let me say this: the uh, uh, the Pacific Ocean itself, the Pacific Ocean. If you just take that one Pacific Ocean, it is a third of all of the oceans on Earth. That's how big the Pacific Ocean is. Okay, but ships will sink. They'll sink. And all aboard these ships will perish, guys. By the end of this, this second half of the tribulation, even people living inland will be affected as a third of the sea becomes blood. Now, you know, um, 
Is this really mean? Blood, blood. Um, you guys, you know the I I have I have a, a philosophy when it comes to studying the Bible. Generally speaking, when the Bible makes a metaphor, it tells you it's making a metaphor by explaining the metaphor shortly after. I have a tendency to believe that this could be blood. I mean, how much sea life is there in the ocean? How much uh, uh, human life is there in the ocean? I don't know. Let's keep reading. The third trumpet is about to blow. The third trumpet is about to blow. Revelation chapter 8, verse 10 through 11. Oh, wait. Did, yes. Did I stop? Okay. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and the third on the ships were yes, okay. 10. Let's take a look. Let's go back. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Hmm. The name of the star. That's interesting. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third, a third of the waters became Wormwood. Again, this word here in uh, the Greek, it simply means undrinkable. So it becomes undrinkable. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So a third, the third trumpet sounds and a great star falls, poisoning one third of the sources of domestic waters worldwide. I want you to imagine what this would do to the world. Those who drink from these poisoned waters will die. This will destroy. If you can imagine, church, if you can imagine, this will destroy entire city populations. You know, I mentioned last week, I said, you know, I think you'll discover as we read and as we study that if you're somebody who's just watching this because you cruised across it on Facebook and you're like, yeah, well, I think I believe in Jesus, but I don't know. I'm, I don't want to sacrifice anything in my life. I don't feel like I need to lay down or change my life or I feel the whole church thing is judgy and this and that. And you're putting off a come to Jesus moment and you're, and you're thinking, well, you know, Maybe you've been raised in the church and there's in the back of your mind, well, I can always, you know, be saved through the tribulation. I don't know. Depends on what ch church you grew up in, I guess. I'm just saying nobody is going to want to be here during the tribulation time. Nobody. Nobody. It's going to be horrible. Destroy, if you can imagine, destroying entire city populations. Let's keep reading because the fourth trumpet is about to blow already. Uh, verse 12 uh, reads, then the fourth angel sounded and what happens a third of the sun was struck and does this mean that something actually strikes the sun and prevents it from giving out as much heat or light i don't know a third of the moon a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened so we we're seeing some uh some heavy uh, uh, cosmic activity happening, guys. We, and so people living in that period of time should expect to see this. Now, uh, to this point, you know, as a pastor, I've had a lot of people come to me at different times, especially 
recently. Honestly, the more time that goes by, the more it happens. Because the closer we get to a rapture event and Jesus coming back at some point, uh, uh, the worse things get, right? But especially this last summer when there's so much chaos and everything else, and then the election stuff in the fall and all this chaos, right? People ask me, are we in the end times? Are we there? And I know that a lot of times they ask, they're asking me if we're in tribulation. Trust me, we're not in tribulation. You'll know when we're in tribulation if you see this stuff happening, but thank God I don't believe that we'll be here. I, I don't believe, I believe we'll, I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. I believe that the, that the Lord won't, won't uh, subject, subject us to wrath because he's promised us already that he wouldn't uh, as Paul. So, I thankfully wrote to reassure us. So uh, this is a time like has never been on the face of the earth that is that is coming that we're reading about. Okay, when these trumpets blow, and we're not even at a mid tribulation point yet. Okay, uh, bowls of wrath are to come as we continue to study forward. Antichrist uh, coming on the scene stuff. Uh, as we're going to read about shortly, okay? So, uh, are you guys enjoying this? I mean, Revelation can be uh, uh, tricky, uh, but I think, uh, in my opinion, there's only one way to tackle it, and that's straight, straightforward, head on, grab the bull by the horns, right? Because uh, it is, it says what it means, and means what it says, I believe. And it's, you know, it's it's not your typical feel-good-everything-is-going-to-be-all-right sermon, but I'll tell you one thing. It's the only book in the Bible that promises a special blessing for the reader and promises a special blessing to anyone who even hears it read. So uh, I'm glad you guys are here for this, okay? It's interesting nonetheless, isn't it? This is the, the prophecy that John was was given and received from Jesus himself. And uh, so let's keep reading. So the waters are, are struck. Domestic waters poisoned, right? The fourth angel so sounds and the sun is struck. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like. And then this is interesting in verse 13 as we read. And I looked and I heard. Uh, I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Now, this is, you know, I don't know what this means, but that word angel there in the Greek is actually better interpreted as eagle. So he hears an eagle flying through the midst of heaven. So I want you to use your imaginations, put your thinking caps on, flying through the midst of heaven. Think of a giant eagle's wings, that sound flapping, okay? Man, so much of the prophecy in the word of God is visual all of your senses it uses all of your senses your hearing your smell your eyes everything um, so taste bitter waters right touch everything uh, so an angel or an angel but rather eagle so is that an angel I don't, I don't know I don't know I'll leave that up to you saying with a loud voice whoa 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 to the inhabitants of the earth. Again, we talk about this uh, in the sense that after Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, we don't see any uh, words like beloved, right, that he typically uses for the church, for his church, for the bride. He typically, from four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 on, when he talks about people who are 
on the earth, he'll use terms like this, like the inhabitants of the earth. Woe to those who dwell upon the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. So in other words, guys, it's been pretty bad already. It's been pretty bad already, but it's about to get a lot worse. When the fourth trumpet sounded, a third of the moon, the sun, and the stars, they were immediately darkened. The people dwelling on the earth see some incredible things happening in the heavens above them. There's no doubt, okay? There's no doubt you would know. Trust me, you would know if you were in this time. They give no light for a third of the night and a third of the day. Think about that, okay? Uh, verse 13 warns them that there are three more woes coming, each worse than any of the plagues released by the sounding of the first four trumpets. And then we get into Revelation chapter 9. Verse 1 through 12, which reads as such. Can we see that? Revelation 9, verse 1 through 4. 1 through 4. Then the fifth angel, the fifth angel sounded. Actually, you know what? Can I, is there a picture I can go to, Eva, that I missed? I think there is. Can, we, can you show me that? Let's recap before we move forward. I'm, I'm moving pretty quickly here tonight, guys, because I know I've got to get through two chapters, so I don't, I'm trying to move fast tonight, but I don't want to lose you in the process, okay? Look at this is where we are. A third of the trees, grass burned, mountain of fire, could it be a comet? Wormwood, I don't, a mountain thrown out of the sky, right? I mean, look at this, guys. Oh, what a time it's going to be on the face of the earth. Darkness, a third, the third, 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 third. Okay, now we're coming. Now we're coming to Revelation chapter 5 and things. Remember, we just wrapped up verse 8 with, um, or chapter 8. We just wrapped up chapter 8 with them saying, Woe uh, to those who dwell on the earth because the remaining blasts, they're about to get a lot worse. Okay. So let's read Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. You'll see what I'm talking about. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given. Wait a minute. Him? I would have thought this was a star falling. So a lot of uh, uh, great teachers um, conjecture that this is speaking of Satan. And this is say, talking of Satan and his fall from heaven. Uh, is he being cast down from heaven, fallen from heaven? It's really interesting uh, anyway, because if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the first seal being broken. And when that first seal was being broken, so many people think that, well, that rider on the white horse was going out and he was going out to, uh, with the appearance of war, riding out to conquer, but he would, you know, he had no arrows. And is that the Antichrist? But then we examined a different possibility that could that be the, the, the prophet Elijah, right? So that go back and watch that if you missed that one. That's an interesting study. But in any case, if this is Satan now, then if we're doing this chronologically, then that's probably not Satan back at the first seal. I don't know. Uh, 
uh, use jump off there, dig in, do some digging, and uh, see what you come up with, guys. Okay. Um, so let's go back to the scripture. So the uh, the star fallen from heaven to the earth to him to him. So this star as a person was given the key to the bottomless pit. So interesting to point out, he didn't have the key. Okay. This is really important. Hang out here for on that idea for a minute. He doesn't have the key to the pit. It was given to him. He's giving, being given an allowance of some kind, okay? Uh, verse 2, And he, he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Verse 3, Then out of the smoke locusts, Locusts came up. Wow. My goodness. Let, let me push pause right there. So we're out of this bottomless pit. Okay. The Greek word for bottomless pit there. And I'll show it to you in a second. I think. I think I have that. In any case, if I don't. It means abuso. It's the word abuso in the Greek. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, we will talk a bit more about that in a minute. Okay. This is essentially hell. Okay, this is this is a holding place for uh, for demons, essentially a punishment place. Okay, but this here, this star fallen is is absolutely idiomatic of Satan right here. Okay, I truly believe it is a permission that was given to him, and he didn't have the key. Okay, so keep that in mind. All right, then smoke. Then out of the smoke, locusts come, didn't they? I believe this is idiomatic again, and I'll explain why here in a minute, okay? But locusts come out of this pit, and actually I think the text makes it clear. I don't, once we read the text, you won't need me to explain anything, okay? So, uh, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given, there it is again, they are, they don't have any power in and of themselves, okay? That's important here. They were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Okay, what do scorpions do? They sting, they poison, right? Uh, verse 4, they were, uh, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or tree. Now, this is interesting here. Because uh, this is what a, a locust normally does. Normally a locust eats all the crops, right? Normally a locust just eats all the crops. So uh, he's, these locusts are coming out and they're being instructed, don't do what you normally do if you're a locust, right? So anyway, let's keep reading. Or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So, interesting. Remember, the 144,000, the 144,000 are those that will have the seal on them, as we learned last week, okay? They don't eat the crop. Let's think about these idiomatic locusts for a second, okay? They, they don't eat the crop. They come from the bottomless pit. Abusos, in the Greek, it means... According to Thayer's lexicon, it means the abode of demons. The abode of demons. I want you to wrap your 
heart and mind around that and what that means uh, metaphysically and everything else. Do you know that uh, in Geneva, Switzerland, right now, there is something called a Large Hadron Collider where they are trying to enter dimensionally, <laughs> create a dimensional portal into another dimension. We exist in, in four dimensions as we understand, right? Height, width, girth, and time. That was proven by Einstein 100 years ago. We believe that there's at least a fifth dimension because we believe in God and spirit, right? Well, so do scientists that are not godly at all, and they want to pierce that other dimension. They've discovered already that dark matter is real, that in between our fingers, there's actually matter that's holding all other matter together, right? Um, uh, they call it the God particle. It's really, really a cool study if you want to dig into that. However, it's kind of frightening thinking that they're trying to open a dimensional portal and speak into this dimension right now with this large Hadron Collider. So if you haven't read about that, I just I probably ruined your night because you're going to be reading about it all night now. So um, this bottomless pit, this uh, abusos, abusos, this abode of demons, this is hell. There's a big movement happening right now that you know, nobody likes the idea of anybody having to go to hell. You, you know, do you know why nobody likes the idea of anybody going to hell? Because that was never God's intention for us. Hell was not created for human beings. It wasn't. It was created as a holding place for, uh, uh, for fallen angels, disembodied spirits. It was a punishment. Satan will spend a thousand years chained there himself at a future date. Okay, It was never meant to be a place where we go. It's somewhere that we end up. Right. It's somewhere that we when we when we reject Christ and we reject the free offer of, of uh, covenant with our creator, uh, then we're, we're we're after having abandoned him is the way it should be looked at. Uh, then we're at the mercy of, of these evil beings and and end up there. But this is the abusos. This is the hell that was created for Satan and his demons right here. Okay. And this is a cool study to do. It's a cool study. I'm not going to do it tonight, but to do a study on hell, um, it's worth looking into because there's a big movement out there right now that's trying to say there is no hell and yada, yada, yada. It's rubbish. Okay. This is a place of holding for punishment. Satan will be there for a thousand years. Look, our, our literary uh, literature uh, literary pieces and our movies and whatnot have painted an inaccurate picture for us as far as what hell is. It's not just this big red place with fire everywhere, like something from uh, Percy Jackson movies or wherever, and the devil's mean, and he's got the pitchfork and the little horns, and he's there just torturing people that get sent to hell. That's not, that's not an accurate portrayal, okay? Satan does not rule hell, okay? Hell is, is the abusos, and it's his punishment. It's his holding place. It's the punishment for those uh, Genesis chapter 6 uh, fallen ones, okay? Um, he hasn't even been, Satan hasn't even been imprisoned there yet, okay? So... <clears throat> Let's keep reading here because uh, back to these locusts, all right? They're coming out of this abusos, all right? And they, we're going to see in, in verse 11 that they've got a king over them. 
But before we jump in, jump into back into verse five, I want to touch on this this uh, verse this uh, uh, verse one of the star falling to earth. Okay, can I see this next graphic, Evangeline? Thank you, dear. A star fell from heaven. I encourage you guys to do a study of hell. I encourage you guys to do because the world wants to tell you it's not real. I encourage you to do a study of Satan in your word because the world wants to tell you that he's not real. He wants to tell you that he's not real. You can find a lot of information about him in Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28. It's mentioned 54 times in the Bible, 36 times in the New Testament, seven times in Revelation. And is he the... Angel of the Abuso. We'll see. We do know that he'll be imprisoned there, though. The issue of him uh, being fallen, like I said, Isaiah chapter 14, we read about it in Luke chapter 10 and Revelation chapter 8. You know, we know that, we know that um, in Job, in the book of Job, he's coming back and forth from the earth to heaven, and he's talking to God, and he's saying, you know, if you just, Job, you think that he's so great, but if you take this away from him, if you take that away from him, he'll turn on you, he'll curse God and die. Yeah, yeah. His wife even said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? And his friends and everything were, were telling him to abandon his God and everything else, and he would not, because God had said, you'll never find anyone so righteous as Job, and the devil took it as a challenge. And, and that's quite an interesting study into Job, isn't it? But but uh, we see that Satan is not trapped in the Abuso. He goes back and forth between the earth. He's, our, he's the accuser. He is the accuser. He accuses uh, uh, makes accusations against us before God. Uh, certainly he did in Job, right? Well, he's going to lose access. He's going to lose access. We know that he fell, okay? There was the big fall. We know that pre-Adam, pre-Garden, that there was a war in heaven, right? And Satan was in the Garden of Eden to tempt Adam and Eve after he had fallen, but he had not yet lost access and we see that in Job so we know that he had not yet lost access however he will at some point in Revelation chapter 12 when he runs into this guy that we talked about last week uh, named Michael or was it Sunday we talked about him I think it was Sunday we talked about him studying Jude in any case he's fallen by Genesis chapter 3 but he still has access and it ends up being cast out in Revelation uh, Revelation chapter 12 okay now, also, before we move on, before we move on in this conversation, moving through what's happening here with the Abuso what's, and what's coming out of the Abuso, right? Uh, I want to clarify something. You know, we sometimes, we get confused as we're studying our scripture, just watching TV and getting different ideas. We don't always have a proper understanding of the difference between fallen angels, like Satan is a fallen angel, right? He's probably the worship leader and beautiful and, you know, everything else. And, and uh, uh, pride was his downfall. He wanted God to take God's place. And we've learned all about this stuff. Uh, and, you know, he took angels with him to, to his side and they fell, right? So, but a fallen angel is different than a demon. Okay, and this is interesting. I encourage you guys to look into this as well. Uh, can I see that next graphic, Evangeline? Thank you. There's some differences 
you know, that we find in the scripture between demons and fallen angels. First things first, angels are spirits, but they can materialize. They can take you by the hand sort of thing. Okay. The angel, you look throughout the, the uh, scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, there's many times where angels come and they've got a specific mission and they do something physical here in this realm, right? They go into uh, uh, Sodom and they, you know, take Lot by the hand and they grab them all and they pull, drag them out of the city. Basically, they, it, they, they're not just a spirit like we typically experience spirits now. Has anybody watching ever experienced a uh, had a demonic encounter? I know I certainly have. Um, yeah, but it's, it's intense, but it's spirit. It's not like you know, unboxing somebody. The angels can materialize. So whether they're a fallen angel or not, that's why, you know, the angel, fallen angels, God punished them by by uh, putting them into the abuso, okay? Uh, demons, though, uh, many of them are there as well. Demons, they're evil spirits that only have the power to embody. They possess people that are willing or welcome them, right? Uh, Justin Martyr believed, and many other early church fathers wrote about their belief that uh, the Nephilim that were from Genesis chapter 6, that the fallen angels, the fallen angels had uh, come together with the daughters of men and created a, a breed of giants on the earth, right? And when the flood wiped them all out, that these, they weren't angel and they weren't human. So when they lost their body, they were disembodied and Justin Martyr and many of the early church fathers wrote that they believe that they that's where we get demons from that roam the earth and do, uh, you know, uh, evil things and the bidding of Satan and everything else. And, and many of them, there's so many texts you could read about that, but, and I don't have time for that tonight, obviously, but, but there's the difference there. Okay. So we have to understand that as we study here, demons are destined for torment. Matthew chapter eight, verse 29, chapter 25, verse 41. Demons also get this. Don't you forget it. If you're being messed with and you feel an evil spirit in your house, guys, they must obey Jesus. You get that? They must obey Jesus. Mark chapter one, verse 23 and 27. Chapter five, verse one through 15. First John chapter four, verse four, get this down because we talked about this a lot just a couple of days ago, didn't we? About engaging in spiritual warfare. You know, it's real. We all know that there is much more real just beyond the four dimensions we currently live in and see in right now. And we need to be fighting that war. But we also, God is so good that he's got given us this understanding of what we're actually fighting so we can understand it. Okay. So, um, no demon is going to materialize and grab you by the hand and that sort of stuff. But then there are these other characters that, you know, Satan obviously has more power than your average disembodied Nephilim would. But I digress and let's move forward in the study, shall we? Let's read verse five, chapter nine, verse five. Okay, let's keep going. And they were not given authority to kill them but to torment them for five months. And this is interesting because the only other time we see five months in the Bible is that Noah was on the ark for five months. The earth was being judged for five months. We'll get back to that though. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Verse six, in those days, and this 
is so interesting. Chuck Missler always said that this was the one verse in the entire Bible that confused him, that just didn't make any sense to him. Verse 6, in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. That is, and I don't, I couldn't say it any better than he did when he just says, you know, I, I cannot understand this. Like, you know, uh, you, you look, he, his example was suicide bombers, right? So he said, I could, I would, he could strap a suicide uh, vest to my chest and blow myself up, right? I'm pretty sure that would do the trick, right? But some, for some reason, during this end time period, it'll flee from them. They'll hope for it, but it will flee from them. They'll desire to die and death will flee from them. They'll seek it and not find it. Now, I don't know if that's just an, a metaphor for how they're feeling at the time. Okay, like I said, usually metaphors will explain themselves in the word as right after they're given, but I don't know. I'll let you chew on that. Okay, well, let's keep reading though. Verse 7. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. <laughs> On their heads were crowns of something like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. All right, it's doing something here. The text is already doing something here, guys. Don't let it be lost in you, okay? It was like gold, like horses prepared for battle. They're like faces, it doesn't say it was fate was faces of men. It looks like faces of men. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Verse eight. Verse eight. They had hair like women's hair, and this is so. This is a simile. Okay, within the context of like if we're speaking English terms, you know, literary. This is a simile, right? It's like something else, uh, like faces of men. They had hair like women's or had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lions similar to lions and they had breastplates uh, like breastplates of iron doesn't mean that they were iron right it doesn't mean that they were iron it means that they were like iron some kind of shell here so this is really fascinating to me here honestly uh, and the sound of their wings was like the sounds of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like, similar to, scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men, and here it is again, for five months. For five months. So, again... Why the five months there? Uh, is it truly tied to Noah? Is it truly tied to Noah? Um, because that's the only other place we really see a five-month pattern in the Bible. Perhaps, somehow, I mean, judgment upon the earth, judgment upon the earth, right? Noah's in an ark. Where will we be at this point? We're in the throne room. We're already, the ark has already sailed at this point, right? So I think that we just continue to see type and shadow uh, uh affirmation that while this is happening a rapture event has already occurred okay guys so if you're watching this and you haven't watched the previous uh, teachings on how we got uh, through the letters to the churches to the throne rooms in chapters four and five um and then even the last couple of weeks we, this is 
truly, we have been through some awesome study that really leads me to believe that we are in the throne room as the 24 elders um, while this is happening. But before I move on into verse 11, a lot of people, uh, Hal Lindsey, you guys know who Hal Lindsey is? The late great planet Earth. That was one of my first books I ever read about end time prophecy. Have you heard of Hal Lindsey? If you've never read that book, it's a classic. I think we have two copies of it. I that. Amber and I, you don't haven't read it yet. So you're gonna have to read it then. Uh, Amber, when Amber and I were dating, uh, we have two copies because we both bought it. We had uh, when we were just dating and lived separately. So, um, but Hal believes that what we're listening to be described here is: um, Have you ever seen uh, an Apache helicopter? And have you ever seen the pilot who's got the helmet on with these big bug eyes and the big thing coming out, right? And then the big tail of the chopper is spinning and the, everything else. And, and uh, what does it have on it? Stinger missiles, right? So how Lindsay believes that if you're John, the revelator, and you're given a vision into the future and you have no clue what a car is, let alone a helicopter, Maybe this is how you describe a, a modern warfare vehicle, right? Or missiles, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I think that's an interesting take and fascinating. I don't know that I subscribe to it because I'm such a literalist on the word of God, but it is, it is intriguing to me. Anyway, so I thought I'd bring it up. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, because this is really cool. As we go back, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and they had... These locusts, remember, out of the bottomless pit. So with that in mind, with that in mind, they're either like Apache helicopters, right, in war, or they're demonic creatures, because let's just be for real here. What is being described comes straight out of the horror movie, okay? And I'm not going to rule that out. I'm not ruling that out, okay? Um, so as, as crazy as it sounds, listen to what we're reading about is coming on the face of the earth, not to mention the fact of what we know has already been on the face of the earth pre-flood, before the flood, right? Uh, fallen angels and giants and all that stuff, right? So let's get back here. These, these locusts that came out of the Abuso, the bottomless pit, they had as king over them. Let me stop right here because... Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27 tells us that the locusts have no king. So real locusts have no king. Why did the Holy Spirit mention such a thing randomly all the way back in Proverbs chapter 30, right? This, this Proverbs itself was just talking about something that is small, but causes great damage and is unsuspecting, something to that effect. I have to look it up. But, but in Proverbs, he straight up just says, the locusts have no king. Why? Because he knew that we today would need help unraveling this passage in Revelation. So these are locusts coming out of the bottomless pit. They have a king over them, but locusts, locusts, real locusts. These are not locusts that are invading North Africa or in uh, northern Nevada as they did a few years ago, right? These are not those kind of, it's clear now, okay? Uh, let's keep reading the scripture. 
They had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Apollyon, church, means destroyer, destroyer. Now let's look at uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27 real quick, since I mentioned it. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks with no king, right? Well, as interesting and randomly as that is, which I believe it tells us, okay, well, this, these can't be locusts then because they have no king. Something, Another thing comes to us in, in regarding locusts. Uh, uh, something else comes to us from the Old Testament. In Amos chapter 7, verse 1, can I see that? Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. So, what in the world is that all about? And how is that relevant whatsoever? Well, we don't really know until we look at that in its original translation. We know that the Old Testament was originally translated into Greek from the original Hebrew uh, uh, long before Jesus was even walking on the earth. I think it was 280 BC. And the Septuagint reads it far more accurately and a bit differently. So take a look at this. The Lord hath shewn me, and behold, a swarm of locusts were coming. It's a prophecy all of a sudden. And behold, one of the young devastating locusts was Gog the king. And if you've studied end time prophecy at all, you know who Gog is. Of Ezekiel chapter 38, Gog and Magog, because truly we don't hear a whole lot about Magog uh, through the Old Testament until we get to Ezekiel 38. But apparently we do, because here is the Gog who's mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Here he is being mentioned, Gog of Magog, being mentioned in the prophet Amos's writings. So here we have it, guys. King is translated in the Septuagint as Gog. This ties this ties Gog of Ezekiel 38 now into Revelation 9. Are you with me? It seems apparent to me now at this point that with the fifth trumpet, can I see that graphic one more time? With the fifth trumpet, remember how far we've moved along now, the fifth trumpet, demon locusts, okay, demon hordes, and their king are released. Their demon king, who is named by name as Apollyon, but also as the king of the locusts, is who? Gog. This person, this character, would thusly then be the Antichrist of Revelation, the pseudo-Christ figure that comes onto the scene in the last seven years before the second coming of Christ, guys. I also make this assumption not lightly. I also make it uh, uh, utilizing Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. Can we read that? 
Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, we ask you, let me keep going, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. Are you listening? Will not come unless the falling away, and there's a whole study we've done there before as well, the, the disappearing comes first, right? The event that is a disappearing comes first, and the man of sin is revealed. And who is that man of sin? The son of perdition. I underlined that so you put a pen in that. Let's just read the verse out though through nine. Because what's he do? He opposes and exalts himself above all that is God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse five. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. He was only with him for three weeks. He told them all this stuff. I love it. Verse six. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who restrains, I believe, the Holy Spirit. And where is the Holy Spirit? He is within us. We got to be taken out of the way, church. And verse eight, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. Verse nine, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all the power, signs, and lying Wonders. So why does this tie in? So I want to paint that picture of who this guy is. All right. I want to, I want to give it to you. Why, why does this tie in here? That phrase, son of perdition in verse three, son of perdition. Can I see that scripture again, Eva? Can we go back to verse three, son of perdition? If we can find it, I'll read it. Let no one deceive you. By any means, for that day will not come unless the, the, the uh, apostasia, or in other words, the disappearing, happens first, and the man of sin is revealed, the what? The son of perdition. Can I see this next graphic now? The perdition. What does that mean? It means this, apolia. It means utter destruction, the son of utter destruction, the destruction which consists of eternal misery in the abuso, in hell. The root word for Apollyon defines his nature as destroyer, church. Also a derivative of the Greek false god Apollo. Okay, so Apollo, Apollyon, are you with me, guys? Okay, so this is who's coming, the son of perdition, the son of Apollyon, the son of Apollo. We're, we're directly tied now from Amos chapter 7 to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse uh, verse 3, into Revelation chapter 9. This son of Apollo comes. And it's very interesting to me because it's been documented. Um, it's been documented 
there's a book called uh, Zenith 2000 um, that was written. Oh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, that documents these messianic practices and it's or, or masonic practices excuse me it's interesting because it's been documented that 33 degree masons practice a ritual every presidential election they have a ritual in washington dc at their headquarters uh, and the ritual involves them inviting the spirit of apollo to return there's a lot of interesting stuff out there for you guys to uh, uh, look into and study. I just let the Holy Spirit lead you, okay? So you're not confused and led astray. But man, this could be some ancient alien stuff that we're talking about when we're, ta <laughs> we're talking about the Abuso being opened up. And we're talking about the Large Hadron Collider at CERN in Geneva, Switzerland is actually currently trying to do that as we speak. I'm just saying... You know, I think we need to consider every angle when we're reading the scripture. I think that there's a strong possibility that it just means what it says and says what it means. And it's not necessarily helicopters. This could truly be a demonic, demonic force and thing that is about to come onto the world, guys. Uh, he and his demons come from a hidden place, a hidden place. They bring a new gospel. They bring a new great delusion. Okay, what could possibly cause, think about it, guys, what could possibly cause all religions of the earth to be abandoned for this new truth by earth dwellers? It would have to be pretty convincing, huh? I don't know. The good news, though, is I think that we're going to be watching all of this from our balcony seats. Amen? Somebody say, give me an amen. 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 But if we're here till the three and a half year point, like some people think, mid-tribbers, uh, theolo theologists say, you know, we might need to think about all the possibilities. But I, I, I hold firm to um, my bridegroom coming and sounding the, the shofar and uh, announcing that he's here to take us to the bridal chamber. Verily. Amen. Truth? All right, let's finish this out. Verse 12. Verse 12. One woe is past, behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. So this is one. Verse 13, here comes your sixth trumpet. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, the river Euphrates is really interesting because it's a boundary line, and it's always been a boundary line, right? So the, what was the, Israel's original land was from, from the Euphrates, all Egypt. Now they've got this little little sliver of land, and, and they still, you know, the Arab people still want to steal it from them. The Muslim people still want to take that from them. Right? They've got nothing compared to what God gave them and was theirs and what God promised them. But, you know, uh, there's a plan. God has a plan. Amen. Um, let's keep reading. Release the four angels that are beneath there. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. So this is a very specific moment that is going to come. Okay. Nothing is accidental here. Okay. They were released 
to kill a third of mankind. A third, again. Verse 16. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. And I heard the number of them. And this is what a lot of people um, are led to believe that this has got to be a, a, an army of China because who else could it be? Who else could it, who, what other population on the face of the earth could form that large of an army? And I think China's, you know, we outgun them still in the U.S., but certainly they've got a number of forces, don't they? Uh, verse 17, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates, fiery red, uh, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So what could this be, guys? What could this be? Um, is it potentially weapons of modern-day warfare? I don't know. We talked about it a little bit a minute ago. Uh, I mean, we're talking about horses with heads like lions out of their mouths, can fire, smoke, and brimstone? Is this like truly a demonic beast? Are we talking about like dragons from the movies we watch? Like the desolation of smog? I have, we had this big argument years ago. Uh, or disagreement, I should say. Half the, the house was divided. Is it smog or smog? I was so sure it was smog and I was way off. Can't believe I lost that one. But uh Anyway, is this, you know, you be the judge, but I tend to, I tend to believe in more literal things, but also I wouldn't be surprised if it's idiomatic as well, uh, metaphorical. Uh, verse 18, let's read. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. Verse 19. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads. And with them, they do harm. Again, same thing here. Is this literal or is it metaphorical? I mean, we're talking about demonic creatures coming out of the abuso, dimensional realms here. You don't want to be here for this, guys. Verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent of the works of their hands. And this is what just blows me away. What has have you got to go through to come to an end of yourself, right? I think it is, sometimes we have people that we love and we care about, and we think well, they've got to hit bottom at some point, right, before they just surrender, throw in the towel and say, Jesus, just take me, have all that, I'm, all that I am. You know, I can't do this anymore. I, you know, yada, yada. You, know, you just want surrender because that's when you truly start to live in your life, right? Here, the, these people are literally living through the tribulation period. The third of the stars and the sun and the moon being darkened. Third of the people on the planet being killed. And they still will not repent. Still, they did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons they still worship demons and idols of gold they still worship idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood which can neither neither see nor hear nor walk and they did not repent he's driving this home here 
They did not repent. And what's repent mean, guys? To change your heart. It means to change your mind. It change, it's not, doesn't mean you're sorry, remember? Repentance is not, I'm so sorry because I got caught. That's not repentance, right? I'm so sorry because now I look bad. Now, repentance is, it happens here, okay? It happens here. It changes how you see the world, okay? It's change your heart. You change your your uh, mind, in other words. That's what repentance is. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immoralities, and their theft. And I find this really interesting, guys, in closing. Because those four sins, let's just look at them again. These four sins, murder, sorceries is witchcraft, which is pharmacia, which is drugs, which is to, we studied this, I think, last week. Uh, this pharmacia is using drugs to wicked end, okay? Using them to manipulate people, using them to, uh, for whatever your purpose are, whatever your evil purpose or intents are, the intent of the heart is the issue. And you're using drugs, whether, whether they're pharmaceutical, that's actually where we get the word pharmacy is from the word pharmacia. So whether they're pharmaceutical drugs or street drugs, it really doesn't make a difference. Um, but I truly believe that these are four major sins that are emblematic of our time today. Uh, murder, I mean, think about this. I mean, forget killing people when they're outside of the womb. We do it before they even get out of the womb now, right? So the, the abortion rates, the abortion numbers, uh, 72 million people killed within the womb since 1973. That's an estimated number. Some say 63. Some others say it's probably more like 73. Killed in the womb before they even took a first breath. Murders, they don't repent for it. They don't repent for it. They don't change their mind on uh, pharmacia, uh, pharmacia, right? Sexual immorality, uh, that's what, the only thing our world is obsessed with, right? And theft, you know, I mean, uh, on this one, yeah. Uh, is theft a big problem in our nation? What do you guys think? Is there theft a big problem? There's a lot of stealing going on in our communities. I would say theft, for this period of time that we're living in, theft is the biggest problem that it has ever been in the history of our nation because they're literally stealing the nation itself from us. And I'm not even talking about the election, guys, okay? Socialism is a form of government, you understand, that doesn't ask you to give to something. It takes what you earned for itself and then gives some to somebody else. And under the guise that they're going to take from you and give to the poor, rob from the rich and give to the uh, poor, they don't do that. They take from the rich and take more from the rich. And they give a little to the poor, but the poor is still poor. So they're going to have to take more from the rich because the poor is still poor. Then, then the poor is still too poor. There's just too many poor. There's, well, the, Jesus said, the poor you will always have among you. And so help them. So love them. So reach out to them. So give to them. Right, uh, that should be the job of, of every Christian on earth. Okay, it's the job of the church. So, um, yeah, I see. I see. I see our culture and our time right now in this verse, and we're, I think we're there, guys. I think we're so close to this time. 
But at the end of the day, these four fallen angels are released. They lead a two million man army. A third of mankind is killed and still people don't repent. And from here, guys, we will get a little break, a little break from the trumpet blast going into uh, chapters 10 and 11. Before, as we talked uh, with our uh, heptatic structure, can I see that graphic? Uh, um, there's two graphics at the end there. Just give me the first or whichever one. Uh, well, go up to the top and give me that heptatic structure one more time. Because um, we're going to see, we're going to see from here, just like we did with the seals that were broken, there was a break before the seventh seal was broken. Heptatic first. So we're going to see, there it is, a break before the seventh trumpet blows. And that break isn't just one chapter like it was last time. It's actually chapters 10 all the way through 14 before we even get to the seventh trumpet being blown. So uh, we can get lost if we don't have the outline to to book. We can get lost in here with what's happening there's a lot happening. Um, but this is where we're at. Um, this is what we're coming to. And that's where we will pick up next week. So uh, with that, church, with every eye closed and every head bowed, hope you're blessed tonight. If you've ever had questions about Revelation, it can be daunting to study. It can be daunting to take on uh, so much, such content. So I hope that this was beneficial to you and encouraging to you and maybe eye-opening to you and you see it in a way that maybe you understand it in ways that you haven't before. So uh, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you are blessed. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we say thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for your word, Lord Jesus, and that you are so good to lead us into all truth and new truth and to give us revelation in this time, Father, as it's a fulfillment of your own prophecy, that in this time that we live in, that knowledge would increase. And so the knowledge of the word of God that you're giving us right now is like never before. And we say thank you, Lord Jesus. We're just excited to be a part of it, Lord, and to learn and to grow with you you and unity with the spirit Lord Jesus so so continue to bless life story church Lord bless all who are watching right now and even those who are among us that couldn't be here tonight Lord uh, we pray warm weather in and we speak health for our community Lord Jesus health and wealth and return to uh, return to uh, uh, how we're able to live our lives before all of this uh, cold weather and coronavirus and all that stuff hit Lord so we just thank you uh, that we know you've got us no matter what we know that even though we don't know the future you know our future and you hold us in your hand Lord Jesus so uh, we thank you for this time and pray that you're glorified by it in the name of Jesus Oh, man. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour his favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. If you if you are somebody who is looking to surrender tonight and lay down your heart and your life and surrender it to, to Jesus and accept him as your savior, I want you to message us. I want you to contact us so we can tell you what's next. If that's you, say this prayer with me right now.
Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, and I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day. And I believe that sacrifice was enough to cover for my failings and my shortcomings and my sin. And I trust you with my eternity. I put my faith in you, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. We love you guys so much. Have an awesome night. And uh, the weather's looking good. Looks like we'll see you guys in person on Sunday at this point anyway. So 10.30 a.m. at the uh, the Rutledge West in Pegram, Tennessee. We love you guys.